0: And welcome to the path of most persistence. This is a place where we hear and share tenacious stories overcoming obstacles with our partners who dare to share a bit of their own personal paths. We hope that these stories will provide inspiration, motivation, and illumination for all those who join us on this path. Today is Tuesday, October 26, 2021, and we are thrilled to have Dr. Adam D. Williams as our guest. Dr. Williams is a principal researcher and development systems engineer in the Center for Global Security and Cooperation at Sandia National Laboratories. He earned his PhD in engineering systems from MIT, his master's of arts degree in international affairs from the George Bush School of Government and Public Service from Texas A&M University, and his bachelor's of science in mechanical engineering also from Texas A&M. doctor Williams, thank you for being with us today.
1: My pleasure. I'm looking forward to the discussion.
0: Wonderful. So we have had the good fortune of having you as one of our contributing experts for our Clean Smarts Masterclass. Now, for our listeners, that is a program that we initiated last year I guess it was during COVID when we were trying to really come up with creative opportunities programming for our students, and because we're in a in in a good. Situation as far as not only location, but because of our networks, we have wonderful colleagues that are in positions that are really ones that are impressive, not only on paper, but what they do day to day. And we thought if we partner with some of those experts in certain fields, that perhaps they would be willing to share some of their knowledge, their experience with students. So thank you for being a contributor to that. But can you just let our audience know perhaps? What you're contributing this year?
1: Absolutely. So as part of the Clean Smarts program, I, uh, along with a colleague of mine from Sandia, um, Ms. Charisma Jackson, we spoke a little bit about global security, the last S in the SMARTS acronym. And what we provided was was an overview of many of the complex technical uh, and non-technical challenges related to the term global security. And our hope, again, was to help not only potentially inspire uh, folks to look into STEM degrees and STEM professions, but also to encourage more technically minded people to look beyond their uh, traditional problem set to see where maybe their skill set could serve uh, larger purposes in the world.
0: Mm. And thank you for that. It was you and Chrisma working together. That was outstanding. She was a contributor last year and she did such a great job. And, and I was so happy that she was coming back, but not only coming back, but bringing reinforcement, you (laughs) and your contributions uh, were wonderful. And I think they're going to be very well received. Uh, Our students have started to register. The school year um, has begun, obviously, and they're just getting in the process of, of, of beginning some of our programs. But as I, you know mentioned in the opening we did that to create more opportunities and for us that was about persisting through the crisis and trying to come up with new um, programming new opportunities especially for our students that were at home having to right. do so much online but I'm wondering uh, why did you say yes to that I'm sure Christmas had her her <laughs> great proposal <laughs> it made you an offer maybe you couldn't refuse but why would you say yes to something like that? That?
1: Absolutely. Well, I said yes to the, to the opportunity for the same reason you created the opportunity mm-hmm. in the first place, which was um, A, to help provide just a glimpse into some of the exciting opportunities and professional uh, career choices available in, under the STEM umbrella, but also as a, just a novel, creative way to engage. Uh, to engage with a, a community, um, potentially some audience members, that I wouldn't have the chance necessarily to do so in mm-hmm. person. Um, in in part of my job, um, I do engage with students of, of various ages, primarily college students, and I've seen how much of a struggle it is to do all of your class, yeah. all of your life online. Yes. And so to the extent possible, we try to make it creative, we try to make it fun, um, and the, the Clean Smarts opportunities seemed like... Um, an interesting opportunity and, and I, I hope it's well received and uh, ultimately continues to breed the success that it has in the past.
0: Thank you. I'm sure it will. Going back to those students that you work with, those college level students, is that through a mentoring program or is that part of something that you do on your own or is part of what you do with the, the laboratory? So
1: it's primarily through, uh, through my professional job. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of what I do, uh, part of the skill set that I've developed is how to help build academic programs at universities around the world. And so as part of that, I have the opportunity to engage with young people um, from multiple countries, multiple cultures, multiple backgrounds, and it's been a lot of fun. In addition, I also mentor, um, mostly professionally, um, a, a little bit uh, unofficially, but I have several early career staff members and student interns who work, uh, work on some of my projects. And al- and so I, I enjoy the opportunity to help, uh, essentially. Excuse me, essentially to help them avoid some of the pitfalls I made. <laughs> um, you know, one yeah. of the one of the most popular quotes in, in academia is right: you stand on the shoulders of giants, yes. and you you learn from those who have gone before. And so. I'm not calling myself an academic giant by any stretch of the imagination, but I have learned a series of lessons (laughs) that hopefully I can um, impart upon some of my younger colleagues to help them accelerate their careers uh, a little bit more quickly.
0: There's there's so much I want to pull apart there. Just um, before we get too far into the conversation, can you tell our audience a little bit about what you do, just so that I, I know your um, your title is probably a very brief compared to what your responsibilities are, but can you just give us a brief summary just so that our audience can connect and identify a little bit more with you? That That's
1: always the hard question. Yes. Um, we like wordy, ambiguous job titles for that reason so yes. that way nobody asks <laughs> us the follow-on question. So um, I think the simplest, a simple way that I have found to describe what I do is I I try to help develop and deploy systems-level technical solutions to complex real-world problems. Mm-hmm. That can range from, I, I mentioned academic programs, that can yes. range from supporting efforts to enhance specific capabilities in a university and in a partnering country mm-hmm. that can include working on kind of cutting edge analytical capabilities to address um, certain elements of, of security issues in critical infrastructure or and uh, effectively everything in between. So sure. that's probably the most succinct version.
0: Mm -hmm. I I appreciate that. And I understand, but I I do want to ask because um, I'm really um, intrigued. So Adam at 13, 14 years old, is this where Adam thought he would be? Did Adam think that one day?
1: Great, great question. So Adam at 13 or 14 knew that Adam liked math, science, Legos, building things. I was a tinkerer. Mm -hmm. I assumed that that would lead to a career in some type of kind of traditional engineering. Um, I I didn't have any specific flavor in mind at the time, um, but I'd always been interested in space, right? So I figured why not be an engineer at NASA, help build the next space shuttle, Mars rover, Mars lander, one of those options. And So starting in high school, I I began to orient most of my academic career towards favoring math and science. Mm. And then I came to Uh, (laughs) A&M. That's right. And it was my freshman year and I was sitting in one of, uh, I don't know if they they are still around anymore, but freshman leadership organizations. Mm -hmm. So I was in one of those for engineering and we had a guest speaker. And the guest speaker's name was Jim Olson, James Olson who is now a professor at the Bush School. Prior to being at the Bush School, uh, Mr. Olson was a spy for the CIA. And so he gave this very uh, impassioned description and talk about the merits of public service and what it's like to serve your nation in multiple facets, including as a clandestine officer. Um, And I was hooked, right? Hooked then and there. I walked up to him after the speech and said, "Hi." I'm Adam. How do I, how do I do what you do? I'm interested. He uh, uh, effectively what he did in that 30 seconds was he assessed me and sized me up. And he said, be at my office tomorrow. This was a Thursday evening. Be at my office tomorrow at nine and we'll talk. And went to his office, chatted with him for about half an hour, um, was able to get into his class. And that began a series of dominoes That oriented my kind of technical career and professional interests toward public service, hence going to the Bush School. Um, And then, you know, through another series of events, I I ended up at uh, Sandia National Laboratories where I get to, uh, again, work each and every day to try to make the world a little bit, a little bit of a better place.
0: Well, that is... um (laughs) Again, I'm, I'm just going, I'm having a hard time keeping up with all the rabbits that are going sure, off in sure. all their trails. So I have to, so for those listening, especially uh, young people, if they were to hear you make that comment about going up to this, this former spy, so to speak, and he, uh, you know, he assessed you at that moment. A lot of our students would say, wow, wasn't Adam lucky? Had it? That would never happen to me. What was it about you? Do you think that he looked at you and said, "Okay, he's the guy. Do you think it was just merely because of his techniques and training that he could identify characteristics about you, or do you think it was perhaps how you approached him
1: so i I definitely think it was a little bit of both." Mm-hmm. Um, and and so more more to t- to the second version where it was more about how i approached him mm-hmm. so i think i think walking up and having having the confidence to to say what you said was inspiring to me i'm interested to know more yes. is a step is a positive step to take with just about anybody
0: and could and you always do that was that something you were always able to do to approach people when you were interested in something
1: not not necessarily, so okay. I'm naturally an introvert okay. and and I, I tend to avoid yes um, groups and crowds, but in that moment, um, I think I was just so intrigued by the opportunities that I could visualize that mm-hmm. I just wanted to know more mm-hmm. and I you know so to to anybody listening who 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 may find themselves in a similar situation, I think there are moments where Whether it's someone speaking or you read something or maybe you see an advertisement or, you know, hear something on the radio. And when you can clearly see yourself in a version of that role, that's when I think you should, you know, that should help give you the confidence to go up and try to find that next step.
0: That is is. beautiful because I really want to spend a little bit of time on this because I think so many of us, and especially young people, they may not recognize it because they're young and they haven't had many of those moments. But I think it's wonderful that maybe, especially listening to you, that they can start identifying those moments of clarity. Maybe when you can visualize yourself as this person that is before you or in a situation that he uh, describes. I think, you know, working with young people for so many years, I think that they all have those moments, but they don't know that that's a moment of action and of opportunity. And perhaps if they take it, it might lead to another opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And I, I can't recall when I kind of came up with, with, um, this advice that I tend to give to people. Um, But one of my favorite, favorite phrases is, the worst that can happen is they say no. Absolutely. And I understand that for some folks, and and it it was difficult for me um, at times and early on to hear no. Yes. Especially, particularly when you're very excited about something. Yes. However at the end of the day when you when you weigh when you weigh out what happened over the course of the day if the worst thing that can happen is someone says no to a request for more information for an opportunity i think you're doing okay yes. and that doesn't necessarily mean that that particular door is closed for that opportunity that just means that that particular pathway may not be advantageous and so if you if 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 something is truly inspiring or interesting to you find another pathway
0: uh, so that no isn't about truly stopping it's right. maybe repivoting calibrating Correct. doing something right. to adjust to continue on right right nice very very nice i um you know in that moment when you know you talked about uh being that young person and liking math and science i'm wondering is that just something that came to you or did you live in a home where that was encouraged or was that your experience in school where you just were encouraged by it or is it something that you just came upon yourself?
1: Again, a little bit of both. Yeah. You will notice a pattern in my answers. <laughs> um, so... That,
0: uh, let me right, just okay. interrupt. I think that's great because you're you're aware. You have that right. sense of awareness and that's a good thing. So please... I appreciate
1: that. I appreciate that. Continue. So please. from as long as I can remember, again, I've, I've been a tinkerer. I've mm-hmm. enjoyed building... Um, And so Lego was one of my favorite toys growing up. However, I would have to say that I had a series of phenomenal teachers, starting with one particular teacher in third grade, who saw the potential and fostered it.
0: Third grade.
1: So for example, in third grade, I remember we were working on multiplication tables, and I just happened to be progressing faster than the rest of the class, and so she let me. She didn't force me, but she let me. She 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 fed that uh, she fed that potential uh, to the point where. And I know it was uh, looking back, it was clearly more work for her because she's now developing yes. multiple um, lesson plans and and yes. and worksheets and whatnot. But you know that that's one example of where the the teachers I had in primary and secondary school were just phenomenal in allowing my desire to do more, mm-hmm. to be able to do more. Yes. Um, and so I think f- for me, uh, the combination of those two allowed me to see more of the potential of what could be when I focused more on math and science.
0: Absolutely. So. I think that that's wonderful. And just because I was once, many, many years ago, I was once an elementary school teacher. So for the sake of that third grade teacher, do you mind giving her a shout out what her name Absolutely,
1: was? Mrs. Linda Tayo. Um, you know, I, I doubt you're listening to this. I doubt you, never you know. remember me. You never know. You never know. However, um, you know, it, it's those little moments uh, that, that teachers can have in students' lives that will, will change the course of, of, of their lives. And, you know, to the extent that I have success and contribute to anything bigger than myself, a lot of it can be traced back to to her,
0: I think that's beautiful. And I think that those messages, especially again from from someone in your position and your background, it's it it's lovely again, as an educator to hear um, you go back in time and to identify that moment when you were seven, eight years old, right. perhaps. And I think that's always so important for our educators, those partners yes. that listen in because the The demands of day to day, albeit, you know, a third grade classroom, an eighth grade classroom, a senior classroom, it's challenging in and of itself. I
1: think that's an understatement. <laughs> so thank you to all the teachers <laughs> and the educators out there listening. Yes, absolutely. Um, you are a categorically undervalued part of our society and I apologize for that, but I thank you <laughs> for what you've contributed to myself as well as my children who are now in school.
0: Well, I so. think you just speaking those words <laughs> means so much because you're right. I think um, most educators go into it because they have a love right, for children. They have a love uh, for Lifelong learning. Right. They have a love for country because they know it's a foundation right. of the stability of our, our country. But uh, I thank you for going back because we partner again. Not only do we do things for students, but we do things for educators. And, and it's wonderful to be reminded sure. of what they do every day is so important. So thank you for allowing me that time to, to go back to third no grade with you. My pleasure. <laughs> my pleasure. Um, so many things. So... With, you know, talking about that, going back into a little bit of your experiences at Texas A&M, I'm, I'm curious how you selected Texas A&M. Uh, and I'm not speaking because we're here on campus, but sure. I'm just curious because so right. many of our students are confused to where they want to go, why they want to go there, but why did you select?
1: Great question. Back when I was in, in high school, um, there was... A few month period where I was dead set against going anywhere in the state of Texas. I'm, I'm going to get out. I'm going to go explore the world.
0: Because you're a, a born and raised Texan. Yes, more or less. Okay,
1: it's a little okay. circuitous, but yes, okay. I am Texan. <laughs> okay, bo- born and raised. Um, every now and every now and again, you'll hear the y'all slip out.
0: I so get it. I born mm-hmm. days, right?
1: <laughs> um, how did I get to Anna? Right. So in high school, so you know, I was looking at schools in California. I was looking at schools on the East Coast um and obviously right back in the early days of the internet searching for best engineering programs mm-hmm. i didn't know mm-hmm. what kind of engineering just best engineering schools um started looking at those lists and and again as as a budding engineer there's a there's a, 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 a advantage column and disadvantage column right i had a yes. whole whole table built out but it wasn't until i got to cost <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right that all of a sudden the reality set in that okay um a and still high on this list, right? Yes. Let's, um, uh, let's go ahead and go there. And um, when I was, you know, as I started getting uh, into the later years of high school, I had friends who went to A&M, so mm-hmm. I'd come down and hang out with them on the weekends and sure. I really did fall in love with the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, driving through campus today it is much different <laughs> yeah. than when I was here. And it's not bad, it's just different. It's, it's
0: a lot of growth. It's um, a lot of a growth. A lot of growth, yeah. which is,
1: which is an, uh, an amazing for the university and for the additional students that, that it can serve. Um, but, you know, I remember my time here at AM very fondly. And, you know, I, I think an interesting question isn't so much, why did I choose A&M out of high school? A more interesting question is why did I choose to stay at a m after I finished my undergrad?
0: That's true.
1: And, you know, a, a large part of that. So when, again, going back to my interaction with uh, James Olson um, story about uh, persistence, if you will. So at that point, After I took his course, the fall semester of my freshman year, sorry, fall semester of my sophomore year, which was the fall of 2001. Mm. So, of course, right, world altering events in the middle of that semester very much oriented my desire to help serve in some capacity. However, I was 40 percent through an engineering degree program. Mm -hmm. And for me to have switched degrees at that point to say political science or or, uh, to switch out of engineering, all of those engineering courses would have counted for two math classes. Mm -hmm. So I effectively would have been starting over. And I was like, well, I'm already this far into it, might as well finish it up. Mm -hmm. Who knows what will happen? Right. So, which was kind of an interesting looking back in an interesting amount of insight or laziness, right? I'm going to go with, with insight just to make myself look (laughs) a little bit better, but maybe it was just laziness to decide to stick with an engineering curriculum Mm -hmm. that is difficult by design and, and for, for good reason. So I I finished my engineering degree. And so I start uh, looking at graduate schools, focusing on international affairs, national security, those types of programs, and uh, the Bush School was still fairly new uh, back then. It was on, it was in my top five, but I had applied to several schools on the East Coast and one on the West Coast. I was accepted to all but one. I got nice financial offers from most of them, but there was just something about this place, and by this, if, if you're listening and not watching this place being, right, College Station and, and Texas A&M University specifically, that... I felt I could have more of an impact both on the program here as it was growing, mm-hmm. but take advantage of more opportunities that the program itself was seeking as it grew. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I ended up here.
0: Mm. That's uh, that's interesting. And, and the Bush School is, is fascinating. Whenever I get to visit, which isn't very often, uh, I learn something new every time. So do you get to come back and visit very often?
1: So, um not as much as I would like, yes. um, but hopefully I, I can do more of that here in the near future.
0: That's great. It, stretching that out a little bit further, you know, you've mentioned public service a few times throughout yes. our talk, and I'm—I know um, uh, maybe you don't have a favorite public servant out there. You've probably mentioned one right. that is probably on toward the top of the list, but I'm just wondering, maybe not favorite, but maybe those that have really, um, made impacts that really resonate with you sure. and maybe ones that are, or maybe not as known as others that maybe our audience maybe should learn more about or not.
1: <laughs> Ooh. Oh, wow. Okay. In no particular order. Yes. Um, uh, and unfortunately, uh, this gentleman passed away just last week, but Colin Powell, mm. Yes. And I never had the opportunity to meet him, but my father was an army officer and fought under Colin Powell oh in goodness. the early nineties. And his description of Colin Powell is powerful. My only interaction with Colin Powell was when I was here at a there was a special event where Henry Kissinger was the guest speaker. And so, as the professor came out to introduce Henry Kissinger, out of the wings of the stage came Colin Powell, <laughs> who happened to be in town visiting his old friend, George Bush. And just his his presence and the way he carried himself, the, co- the quiet confidence with which he spoke, um, and just the respect that he seemed to command from anybody who's spoken about him is... To me, is is a, is a, a masterclass in character, right? Um, soft-spoken, humble, but very clearly capable and excelled at his job. Mm. Um, let's see another another public servant um, that I I respect tremendously is um, Robert Gates, so former president of the university, former dean of the Bush School. And I had the opportunity to engage with him a a, a handful of times. He was president while I was here at A&M. But for me, what spoke the element of of his career uh, that, that put him on my list in answer to your question was the fact that he was, when he served as Secretary of Defense, he did so over the change of an administration for an extremely amount of time. So he was respected enough by both political parties yes. to effectively do that job. Yes. And for those of you listening who understand the magnitude of that statement, just let that sink in and think about how much how you need to carry yourself, how you yes. need to interact with people you agree with that you don't agree with to have that. Occur, uh, and for audience members who don't understand the gravity of that, um, ask somebody, and and, yes. and it'll be an enlightening conversation. Yes. Um, those are those are two that that jump um, to to the top of my of my mind, and I could go down the, this this rabbit no. hole for a very long time, but I I, I I do want to kind of mention one other, yes. one other, and it's not necessarily a specific individual, right? Um, but some of the greatest lessons that I have learned in my life have been from custodial staffers. Mm. Mm. And I know that might come across as different, shall we say, but in in various points in my life, whether it was um, a kind word as I was having a hard day or just the quiet dignity with which they do a job that Absolutely. much of our society just disregards that will always speak powerfully to me and so I encourage anybody listening um, at your workplace at your school anywhere you see if you have custodial staffers learn their name tell them hi um, just like with with teachers and educators Absolutely. it can it can really make someone's day
0: Thank you so much for acknowledging them because they are, those are those unsung heroes. Right. That was that, the phrase I was looking for. Thank <laughs> <I'm sorry. you. laughs> those truly, again, my former life being an elementary school teacher but also a high school principal. Oh, wow. The backbone, you cannot conduct business if it were not for the work of not only custodial but cafeteria folks. Correct. All those incredible professionals that do their work with such humility and dignity and really uh, selflessness. So thank you for bringing that, them back up. I, I really, truly appreciate that. But I want to go back. You you mentioned your father served under Colin Correct. Powell. And you said the way he described him. How did he describe him?
1: It had to... So. The, the, the anecdotes that, that, that I've been privy to, right, where you have many high level officials in a room around yeah. a table and you have the accompanying staff members um, either sitting along the, the wall or, or standing in the back, and just the ability to encourage straight talk. So don't tell me what, I, what you think I want to hear, tell me what I need to hear. And if, if the information wasn't positive or the best, to be able to take a breath and say, effectively, here are the cards were dealt, here's what we're doing. And to be able to do so in, in a way that wasn't overbearing mm-hmm. but still quite powerful. Yes. Uh,
0: yeah. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for sharing those uh, memories that your father shared. I uh, I think that's incredibly uh, important and, and, and the timeliness of our conversation I'm so appreciative of because you're bringing up some individuals that really um, we need to, to honor their memory and all their service. So with all that, I, I'm trying to be mindful of the yeah. time um, because I know you have other responsibilities, but are there any other topics or areas of persistence that maybe you prepped for? You thought, oh, I have a story to share, or maybe I would want my children to hear or my right. colleagues. So
1: I'm sure as I start talking, some of them will, will flood. What, what, what I would like to start with is, is a quote from uh, a man named Howard Terry, who uh, funded uh, his scholarship foundation, funded my undergraduate degree. And one of his quotes is, um, luck favors those who work hard, mm. right? So when something is hard, don't be afraid of it. When something is hard, whether you succeed or fail, you're going to learn something. And I think I think that's probably one of the biggest lessons that I didn't learn until, a l- I wish I would have learned sooner, shall we say, that mm-hmm. even in what you might call a failure, you can still learn. And what I learn each and every day in my job as a researcher is actually you learn a ton more from failures than you do from actually succeeding. Because when, when the experiment doesn't work, when your term paper doesn't get the grade you want, when you don't get the grade you want on your test, it gives you the opportunity to go back and ask why. And so, and and it's, it's probably a a different take on persistence, but those that take that opportunity to ask why and persist to understand ultimately will in from my experience will come out better in the end.
0: Absolutely. So... As we begin to close out i I continue to always think about young people and those that are hope that are listening and You mentioned uh, earlier on in the conversation that you've engaged and worked with young people all over the world and I'm curious from your perspective some of those characteristics, those that transcend country, those that transcend culture, what characteristics can you share that you've gleaned from these young people that you've observed? that maybe those that are listening can harness, identify within themselves. If not, maybe they can um, uh, nurture them in some way. Sure. What are those characteristics that you've seen transcending countries, cultures, that our listeners can galvanize against?
1: Fantastic. So this one's pretty pretty easy for me. Um, so the first one is curiosity. And the second one is critical thinking. Mm-hmm curiosity, inquisitiveness, wanting to understand the information presented to you at a deeper level. Um, Sometimes that comes across as the student who always asks, well, why, why, why? And asking that question isn't necessarily wrong. Um, And so I think curiosity is important because it shows a level of interest uh, to want to understand a little bit better. And from my experience, both working with students and from my own career, as wanting to understand better, wanting to gain additional perspectives will only help you understand what you're trying to do that much better. Uh, in terms of critical thinking, this one is a little trickier. And so critical thinking is the ability to evaluate information presented as objectively as possible which means sometimes you're going to hear information from a perspective that you completely disagree with. And so rather than going, no, you're wrong. I'm right. You take a second and you try to evaluate why would this person say this? What merits do they see in it? Um, and again, trying to evaluate and, and assess those kinds of discussions, that kind of information um, in a way that will allow you to help make up, to make as objective a, a di- a discernment as possible. And so when you marry curiosity and critical thinking, you allow creativity and innovation and inquisitiveness to take over, but it's molded by kind of a structured process that when combined can really create some, some wonderful solutions. And so the, the highest achieving students, the most, um, highest achieving, the most capable, the, uh, the ones that have, you know, the highest or the, the, the fastest arc on their careers are those students that had a combination of those two characteristics.
0: That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And as we close... I just want to say thank you so much, Dr. Absolutely. Williams, for being with us today. I know that our listeners will greatly appreciate your comments and your thoughts and definitely the experiences that you were able to share with us. So to our listeners, thank you for listening in. I hope that you listen to the entire chat that we've had today, along with all of our other guests that we've had in previous episodes. But for now, we say goodbye. Stay curious and stay humble in your endeavors. Have a great day.